I see that the piano is still here. <laughs> For those of you who aren't in our music group, the other night, Rutan sent a text, said, the piano has to leave early. A couple minutes later, she texted and corrected that and said, the pianist has to leave, not the piano. To which I said, shoo, I was afraid he might hurt himself trying to leave. So. <laughs> but this morning, we're going to look at a very serious subject. And I, you know, I must give credit to, uh, to all my sources that I have. Uh, you can go online and find all kinds of sources to, to see insight in the scripture. And so I, you know, I consult R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, Michael Green, uh, Skip Heisig, uh, lot, lots of different people that I consult to get insight into a passage of scripture. And our text this morning is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Before we read those, Verses again, let's bow in word of prayer. Father, I pray that you will give me clarity of thought and may your word be center stage this morning. Teach us what you have to teach us and help us to live as we ought to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There are many scholars who don't believe Peter wrote this letter. Their reasoning, I don't think, carry much weight, and I think 
Because John doubted that Peter did write this letter. He says it's the second letter I'm writing to you. And we know that Peter died in about A.D. 68. And most scholars believe, at least most fundamental scholars believe that Peter wrote this letter in A.D. 67, about a year before he died. And he did die, we know, as a martyr. I think one of the unfortunate things for us is that we remember Peter more for his mistakes than for the way he died, for the way he served the Lord. I remember, I want you to turn to John 14. I remember sitting in Billy Sunday Tabernacle in Winona Lake. It's no longer there. But I was, we always, I sat with my parents. We always went to Winona Lake during Moody Week. It was always the week of the July 4th. I sat down in the second row off to the right of the platform and Chuck Swindoll was was the speaker that evening. And I remember him saying, chapters and verses are not inspired. He said, in fact, it looks like the guy who did it was riding a horse when he made the divisions. And one of those unfortunate divisions is seen in between John 13 and John 14. Look at John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where am I? Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Have you ever read it like that? It gives a little different connotation, doesn't it? I don't know when Peter remembered those words of encouragement. Rather than Jesus criticizing Peter, he gave him words of encouragement. I'm convinced that at one point in time, Peter remembered those words of encouragement and served the Lord faithfully to the end of his life. Today, in 2 Peter chapter 3, I want to look at God's timing, God's plan, and God's purpose for us. This was a difficult time for the church as it was in the first century. There was much persecution. False teachers were coming into the church. You remember that Paul had to warn against false teachers. Uh, In fact, the letter of Jude is another warning against false teachers. And Peter warns that there will come those who will deny the coming the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's waited so long. Um, They will say, where? Where is the coming? And the way it's phrased, it expects that the thing that they're talking about doesn't exist. There's other examples like that in Scripture. In the day of Malachi, the evil people of Malachi, they said, where is the judgment of the Lord? Jeremiah's enemy said, Where is the Lord? And the way they phrase the question is they don't believe that the thing they're talking about or the person they're talking about exists or that the thing will happen. So here in 2 Peter, Peter says, there will come those who will scoff and deny that Jesus is ever going to come 
again. Even Christians were confused. Remember, Paul had to write to, Thess- to uh, those in Thessalonia and, get- and straighten them out as to their confusion over the day of the Lord. And Peter here is warning that there will become those who will deny that Jesus will ever come again. Notice what else they say. Their argument is one of ridicule. He's not going to come. It's been so long, he's not going to come. They, they scoff at the idea. The second thing is they approach it from, from a standpoint of immorality. Peter says in verse 3, following their own sinful desires. You will find as you look at Scripture that many times scoffing or doubting the Word of God leads to sensuality. Look what he says about these false teachers in chapter 2. Uh, verse 10, those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Verse 12, they, have irri- they are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Uh, verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Hearts trained in greed. Verse 17, they are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. Verse 18, they, they are enticed by sensual passions. I remember studying biology at Ohio State, and we studied Thomas, I think his name was Thomas Huxley. He was called Darwin's bulldog because he's so vigorously defended uh, evolution. He had a grandson named Aldous Huxley. And I'll give Aldous Huxley credit for being honest. He said this, and this is a direct quote from him. I had motive for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently assumed it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do or why his friends should not seize political power and govern the way that they find most advantageous to themselves. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. So the reason they don't want there to be a God, they don't want life to have meaning, is they don't want to answer to a God. The false teachers, again, would deny that Jesus would ever return. And their, second, their third reason was uniformity. They said all things continue as they are, as they have been from the past. Well, tell the people in Mississippi who just endured that tornado, all things continue just as they were. Tell the people in Turkey who just went through an earthquake about six weeks ago where 30,000 were killed. Tell them that everything continues as it always has been. Things don't continue as they have been. As I said, even the Christians were were confused about his coming, I think many of the Christians in the first century believed that Jesus would come in their lifetime. I think the, the apostles believed he might come in their lifetime. They would be living when he comes again. P- 
Peter would recall what we call the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. Verses 43 and 44. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then you also answer saying, Lord, we did see, when did we see you hungry, thirsty or a stranger or naked or a prison or in prison and did not minister? Then they will answer them saying, truly I say to you, that's not what I, that's first, I'm in chapter 25, I want 24, I'm sorry. I didn't think I was reading what I wanted. Matthew 24, verses 43 and 44. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's talking to us as believers. We must not become weary in our waiting for the Lord's coming. But why the delay? Why the delay? Habakkuk saw the evil in his day and said, Lord, why aren't you doing something? The psalmist in Psalm 73 said, Psalm 73, verses 10 and 11. How long, O God? Is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile you forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. When Habakkuk asked this question and then God told him what he was going to do, Habakkuk didn't like it. We may not like how God does things, but remember what he said to Job, he said, who is this that darkens counsel? Will you put me in the wrong so you can be in the right? Another question that, that puzzled the psalmist was, why do the wicked prosper? It was as perplexing to him, to the psalmist, as it is to us. Why do the wicked prosper and get away with what they do? I watched a documentary this week on John Gotti. John Gotti became the head of the mob in New York. And the way he got there was he killed at least 13 people. But for some reason or other, people loved John Gotti. Uh, but John Gotti was arrogant. He was very rich. They couldn't catch him in any wrong until they finally did. But why do men like John Gotti prosper? Why do unbelievers seem to have no problems? That's a question the psalmist asked. The answer to why God delays is we can't know the mind of God. He says in Isaiah, his ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. So, God is never late. He says in Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. 
God sent forth his in the fullness of time. But Peter says the reason for the delay is Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How does that square with God choosing us before the foundation of the world? How does that square with Romans chapter 8, or with Ephesians chapter 1? Where he says, Paul says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in Romans, he says, those he called, he justified, those he justified, so on and so forth. How does that, what Peter says here, square with that doctrine of election? You say you don't understand? I say join the club. I don't either. All I know is this, that the Bible teaches both. And we need to preach both. We need to quit arguing about it and just teach, preach, and teach what the Bible says. Turn to John chapter 3. And we'll show you the... We use this passage of scripture in a Sunday school class a couple weeks ago. John chapter 3 is when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, we would all agree, would we not, that salvation is the work of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said. It's the work of the Spirit. Then read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that, what? Whosoever. Whosoever. So God, the Bible tells us that God chose us from the foundation of the world, but he also says that whosoever will may come. There will be nobody go to hell who will say, I wanted to come, but I couldn't. Reminds me of a conversation that Nick had with his two kids on Friday night of our good, evening, good, uh, night, good Friday service. We were singing about Jesus' death and Boston said, why do we sing about his death? And, why? and Nick explained to them that Jesus died on the cross and we call that Calvary. And she said, well, why are we called Calvary? <laughs> and Nick explained to her that, that Jesus was 
God, he was man, and the God is three persons in one. And she said, he said, do you believe that? She said, yes. And then she said, but I don't understand. How can that be? Join the club. Nobody can. And then all kinds of attempts to explain the Trinity. Some people say the egg. It is not. The shell is not the yolk. The yolk is not the white, so on and so forth. Some try to use water. It has three, three forms, steam, liquid, and, and solid. But they're not all three at the same time. So you can't explain the Trinity. You just accept it by faith. Jesus says, I am long-suffering. I don't want any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I can't imagine a more heavy burden than trying to earn your salvation. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest from your labor. God's timing. A thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. God is not subject to time. And he wishes all to come to repentance. That's God's timing. He'll come in his own time. Remember, they asked Jesus about when he would come, and Jesus said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. We don't know when he will come, but we need to be ready. So God has a plan, and he is working out his plan. His plan no one can hinder, no one can thwart, no one can delay. In Psalm 119, verses 91, 90, 90 91, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You've established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. The atheist is helping God complete his plan. <laughs> the unbeliever is helping God complete his plan. They can't stop it. They may not believe in him. doesn't matter. They are all his instruments. They're all his servants accomplishing his will. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. We may not like God's plan, may not like the way he's doing it, but he's doing his, he's completing his plan. I know that there are different eschatological views, but I'm going to give you the correct one this morning. 
Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Jesus is coming back. That's true eschatological viewpoint. Jesus is coming back in his time. What should be our response? What should be our response to the fact that that Jesus is coming again? In fact, let me ask you this question before I go on. Peter says, waiting for and hastening the day of God. How can we hasten the coming of the day of God? Can we make it happen quicker when God is appointed? I, I've read a lot. I don't, never got a satisfactory answer. Here's what I think. Margaret and I were married be 50 years ago in July, July 28th. We've raised our children, helping our grandchildren, And it seems like just yesterday that all that took place. I think if we get involved in serving the Lord in prayer and obedience to him, it will seem like the day of the Lord has come quick, will come quickly. We can't change this time, but we can make it seem like it comes quicker than what it seems to us. So what is our response? Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? There's our response. Living lives of holiness and godliness. It's easy, isn't it, to get caught up in the everyday things of life, be drawn away from the Lord, from our service. But Peter says we, we must be anxiously, wait, eagerly waiting his coming. Our future is a great future. We are on the winning side, but sometimes we lose focus. We, we think about the sacrifices we must make as believers in serving the Lord. We might get caught up in the difficulties of life. We all face difficulty. We all face adversity. We may get caught up in the trials that we go through. But Peter says we must wait. We must be ready. We must live lives of holiness and godliness. No matter what we do to serve the Lord, no matter what sacrifices we make, in the end, it will be worth it. There's an old song we used to sing. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race, or maybe gladly run the race, or eagerly run the race, till we see Christ. 
God says it's coming the day of judgment. And he's faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his promise to us as believers to deliver us from that judgment. But he's also faithful to the unbeliever who rejects his word that they will be judged in the last day. How are we doing as Christians? Have we forgotten that Jesus is coming again? Have we gotten caught up in the rat race of life and put it kind of behind ourselves, behind our back, put it out of our mind? Peter says in order to be ready, we need these lives of godliness and holiness. That should be our response to the fact that Jesus has not come yet. He's waiting for you to come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. We need to keep his coming in the forefront of our lives. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the promise we have in scripture that you are coming again. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you for your word. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to live lives of godliness and holiness before you as we wait for the coming of our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.